If you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Acts chapter 15. To our musicians, thank you. Thank you. Your ministry to us is a blessing beyond that which we have words to speak. Thank you all. I want to look at 11 verses from Acts chapter 15. Pray with me. Father, the Spirit of God has been given to us with many promises that he would always be with us, but that he would be our teacher, our guide. He would bring to remembrance things that we have studied and learned and have slipped away from us, but he would be the one who would remind us of the truth of God. Give to us ears to hear this morning. Give to us a commitment to what it takes really, biblically, to get to heaven. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I do not over in, uh, intend to overstep the bounds of what we know from sacred scripture. Nonetheless, allow me this, if you will. When you leave this earthly coil and get to heaven, should Jesus, as you stand before him, say to you, what have you done to come into my heaven. What have you done that suits you? What have you done to be qualified to enter into my heaven? What would you say? No verbal responses. But I want you to think about it for a minute. What would you say? In 15 words or less. What would you say? What have you done to, that would allow you entrance into my heaven? If Jesus says that, what's your response going to be? Hold that thought. I will come back to it. The early church was growing. Gentiles were becoming interested. The early church was basically Jewish. Gentiles were becoming interested. Many were coming to faith in Christ. And while it was clear that Gentiles would be part of the church, the abiding question and the question of the early church that led to one of the great councils in Acts 15 was, how will Gentiles come into the church? Do they have to be circumcised? Remember, the church was Jewish, basically. Will the Gentiles who come into the church, do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to agree to keep all of the law of Moses just as the children of Israel And out of that question, there arose dissension. And you can imagine that. You know, you can get dissension going in the church by asking for sunshine. This was a a basic, fundamental, cardinal, theological, biblical issue that got down to shoe leather. How are Gentiles going to come into the church of Jesus Christ, which basically had been Jewish? Question, if I could put it this way also, is Christ alone? And don't leave out the word alone. Is Christ alone sufficient for salvation? That question was asked in the early church, and that question is asked today. It's just as relevant today as it was then. 
is Christ alone sufficient for salvation? In the apostolic message, the principle of grace was paramount. Grace in salvation. And it would not therefore be at all surprising that dissension would arise. For you see, grace is an offense to human pride. It always has been, it is today, it always will be. Grace is an offense to human pride. The Apostle Paul made this clear in the book of Galatians. Uh, to the Galatians in the fifth chapter, he said if he preached salvation by grace through faith alone plus circumcision, Paul said, I would never have been persecuted. But when Paul preached salvation by grace through faith alone, he was persecuted. Why was that? Because men and women like to think about their own righteousness. And they hope to even put an, an S on that. My own righteousnesses. Men and women like to think about that. This is my good stuff that I've done. My righteousness. Here it is. And we'll talk about that. Men like to think that they can do something to earn God's favor. Men and women do not like to be shut up solely and completely to the grace of God. It is foreign to our old nature. We may not mind grace, but preacher, just don't tell me the Bible says it has to be grace alone. I've got these other things here that I think are pretty doggone important. That's my stuff. That's my righteousness. So don't shut me up to salvation by grace alone. But we must come back to the Bible. And the statement of sacred scripture is Old and New Testament alike. Anywhere you find it. The statement of scripture is salvation is by grace through faith alone plus nothing. By grace through faith alone plus nothing. And if we ever add anything, for example, salvation is by grace through faith plus circumcision. That's what they were arguing about in Acts 15. That's where the dissension came in Acts 15. Or salvation by grace through faith is good, but you have to add baptism. Or you have to add church membership to that. Or you have to add some other thing. And when something, listen to me dear people, when something, when anything is added to salvation by grace through faith alone, it vitiates the principle of grace. Salvation by grace through faith plus something is not grace. The whole nature of grace is changed when you add something to it. That's what grace is all about. And the cross shuts men and women and boys and girls up, shuts them up to the grace of God. The cross offends our morality, or it tells us that our works can't justify us. So our morality is offended. The cross 
offends our human philosophies because it is an appeal to faith and not to reason. The cross is an offense to our culture for it says that salvation is open and available to anyone regardless of their station in life. Rich, poor, anywhere in between. Salvation is open to all and that offends our culture. The Apostle Paul was to me at least in so many ways a unique individual. God put his hand on this man and called him. Set him apart to the gospel. But he's a unique individual. For example, Paul was willing to accommodate himself in many, many ways for the sake of furthering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you doubt that, go to 1 Corinthians 9 and begin at verse 17 and read down verse 22. I'm not going to do that. But some of you would remember what Paul says there. To those under the law, I become under the law. And so on. So Paul, in many ways, was willing to accommodate himself for the sake of furthering the gospel. But listen to me very closely. Where the gospel was at stake, Paul was absolutely unyielding in his theology. Now, people don't like that anymore. We live in a day when, uh, I hope none of you haven't, but if you do, I'm not going to apologize to you. Have you seen these signs, uh, bumper stickers that say coexist? My word for that is Tommy Rot. And if you got one on your car, take it off. Coexist. You know what that means? It means that, that you, you can't say anything bad about anybody or anything. You got to agree with Islam. You got to agree with Muhammad. You got to agree with Shintoism. You got to agree. You, you can't say anything about them. This one preacher is not going to coexist with that. I promise you that. It's God's truth, it's God's word, and thus endeth the epistle. Coexistence requires that we give up something that we can't give up. I think the church has some things backwards today. Where Paul was willing to yield and and, uh, do some things for the furtherance of the gospel when it came to his theology, he didn't. And today we've got it in reverse. Sometimes we argue and fuss about things that are inconsequential. I've, I've, in my notes, in my file of illustrations, I can show you an illustration where a church split. Do you know the great reason that caused the church to split? It was over which side they're going to put the piano. I'm not making that up, folks. Part of the church went on that side, part of the church went on this side. And they split. The church actually split over that issue. Now, I call that an inconsequential issue, wouldn't you? If you couldn't do anything else, put the doggone piano in the middle and forget it. And yet, we will give up cardinal doctrines or we will sit down and agree to debate cardinal doctrines. Paul would not do that. And we need more people today, more men and women like the Apostle Paul. I don't care. I, I, I work with you on, on uh, uh, what color the carpet is in the church or what color you want to paint the ladies' restroom or whatever. But when you tell me we've got to compromise, get along, go along, get along with people who don't believe precisely what is in the Word of God, 
That's where we ought to draw the line. Paul refused to remain silent when those came teaching uh, teaching circumcision. I beg your pardon, teaching circumcision. Just a thought or two about circumcision. You recall that originally circumcision was given by God as a sign, as a visible way for God to say, I will not accept the flesh of man. That was a visible way that God had, and he gave it to Israel. And and the truth behind it was, God will not accept the flesh of man. It was a symbol that righteousness came by faith. Righteousness didn't come through circumcision. Every male child in Israel was circumcised when he was eight years of age. Eight days of age, I beg your pardon, eight days of age. In order to give testimony to the fact that he belonged to a covenant-keeping people. And so it was a sign or a symbol of the righteousness which he was to have by faith, not by some work of the flesh. Circumcision did not communicate life. But in the passing of time, the Jewish nation came to believe that it did. So when a man was circumcised, he was declared righteous among the Israelites. God intended that, however, to be a sign that righteousness was to come by faith. If you wanted to go back and and get these in proper order, in Genesis chapter 15, the Word of God speaks about man being declared righteous because he believed. He believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. You go back and read verse 6. He believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's interesting to me because circumcision didn't come along until two chapters later. Chapter 17 of Genesis. The two things had nothing to do with one another. But Israel made them. They forced them. And they came to a place where they said circumcision means righteousness and life. It gives life. And it did not. So there was this circumcision. Paul and Barnabas would therefore go to Jerusalem. Let me, let me pick up and read these verses for you. Chapter 15, verse 1. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now that's just as clear as can be. And they weren't willing to coexist with the, the, other, took the other side either. Let me tell you that. That was... Their way or the highway. Unless you've been circumcised, you can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas had great dissension. And I'm just using for my outline, the outline that really comes right out of the text, versus dissension. And debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So here it was in a, in a rather narrow context, and it was determined that this should be taken to Jerusalem, to the elders and to the apostles. Verse 3, therefore being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the con- conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all brethren. They arrived in Jerusalem. 
they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones, here they are again, the only thing these people got an A in was persistence. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Folks, here's the dissension, and here are the issues. It is either salvation by grace or it's circumcision and keeping the law of Moses. That was the early church, and that led to discussion, which we see in verses 6 through 10. The apostles and elders came together and took together to look at this matter. The discussion went on. And apparently, there were two meetings after Paul and Barnabas arrived. Verse 6 seems to be a private meeting with the apostles and the elders. Verse 7, a larger group is included, I think the whole church. Verse 7 says, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and do what? Be circumcised? No, and believe. That was Paul's message to the Gentiles. To hear the word of the Lord and believe. Verse 8. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them. Giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Cleansing their hearts by faith. Last word in verse 7 is believe. Last two words in verse 9 are by faith. Are we getting the point here? Salvation is not by some external right. Verse 10, now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In verse 10, Paul broadens this whole thing. It's not just why are you putting circumcision on the Gentiles who come into the church, but he broadens the whole thing to the law. He says, our fathers were not able to bear this, neither have we been able to bear the yoke of the law. So he broadens the whole thing. Fundamentally, I believe this passage of Scripture is saying in these opening verses that the apostles, the elders of the early church agreed circumcision shouldn't be placed on the Gentiles who came into the church, nor should the whole law. Salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing. Also in verses 7 through 10, Peter makes the point that the Gentiles were saved by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit gave testimony to the genuineness of their faith. Did you notice? Verse 8 again, And God who knows the heart bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. I don't know. As I have read this and thought about it and thought about it, it seems to me the question is being raised, uh, at least tacitly, he never spelled it out, but it seems to me the question is being raised. Listen, you people, do you think God made a mistake about this? He gave them the Spirit. He knows the hearts. Do you think he made a mistake? Now again, let me draw this down to 
where we live, 20th century, 21st century. Lest you think this has nothing to do with us today. Old Testament had a right, a physical right of circumcision. The church today has baptism. And to many in our day, baptism is being made what circumcision was by these folks who came down and said, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. We don't have the problem of circumcision. I know that. That's background to this. We do have in the New Testament the the physical rite of baptism. And today, as it was in the first century, there are some who have misunderstood. There's a great religious organization. I say great in terms of numbers. Huge. And they claim that original sin is removed by the waters of baptism. Original sin is removed by the waters of baptism. May I say to you, if baptism washed away sins, it'd be the dirtiest water you've ever seen. Now, I don't mean to make light of baptism. That same great, huge religious organization says daily sin is removed by non-bloody sacrifices, which are referred to as mass. Same organization says venial sins are removed by the oil, by oil or by extreme unction. And then they say, oh, any other sins are removed by purgatory. Now, friends, if that's true, let me ask you something. What's left for grace? Nothing. If sins can be removed by water, by bread, by oil, by purgatory, then there's no need for God's grace. None whatsoever. I want to urge you as strongly as you will allow me to do as your pastor to stand against any kind of ritual salvation. Hear me well. If the Bible is true, circumcision won't save anybody. If God's word is accurate, the way it is stated is keeping the law will not save you either. Baptism won't save you. Joining a church won't save you. Some of those things are good. I am so grateful for those who've written our hymns. There is so much wonderful theology in the glorious hymns of the faith. What can wash away my sin? Answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon this I see. Oh, I wish I had a voice I could sing. For my pardon this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Him writer goes on. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Chorus, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I won't read all of the, another one of the hymns that I cherish. 
<clears throat> could my tears forever flow? I mean, basically, could my eyes be fountains of tears and, and, and they forever flow? Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? Could I always be like I'm taking 100 milligrams a day of prednisone? Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to thy cross. I claim. Verse 11 of our text sums it up, I believe. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. Salvation is by the grace of God. By grace through faith plus nothing. When I started, I want to ask you to uh, uh, think about a little scene that I presented. You leave this earthly coil and, and go to heaven. Should, this is not the way it works, but should Jesus be standing there and say, what have you done to come into my heaven? I wonder how many in this room have a spare tire that we're holding on to? Well, Lord, uh, I, I was baptized. Lord, I, I joined the church. Lord, I sang in the choir. Lord, I was a deacon. Are you carrying around some spare tire that should Jesus ever ask you, what have you done to enter my heaven? And, and, and you said, uh, well, I put my faith and trust in you. And just suppose the Savior said, that's not enough. What else do you have? Do you have a spare tire that you're hanging on to just in case? I was fortunate to attend Dallas Theological Seminary. I didn't know its founder. He had passed before I got there. Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer. Dr. Chafer is the one who raised this little scenario that I have presented. And in response to the question, if Jesus were to say, when you say to him, I have trusted you fully as my Savior, and he says, he were to say, that's not enough. What else do you have? Dr. Chaver said, I hope I would turn my back and walk away because that's all I've done. I love that. I don't have a spare tire. I wouldn't tell the Lord, he said. I was baptized. I was a deacon. I started at a great seminary. He wouldn't tell the Lord any of that. He would want, want on this basis. I have trusted Jesus as my Savior. And if that doesn't get me into heaven, Dr. Chafer said, I'd like to just turn my back and walk away. He was that convinced that salvation was by grace alone plus nothing. I would hope I would do the same thing. I'm not carrying around a spare tire. You? Is Christ alone sufficient to get you to heaven? 
May I say to you, he is enough. He is enough. And therefore, I ask you, do you have a personal relationship with him? You know, all of you look sweet and nice and everybody's dressed kindly and the ones that aren't sleeping are smiling. And God bless you for being in church, for listening patiently to the word of God as best I can make it clear. But I wonder, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking you if you've been to church all your life. I'm not asking you for a litany of things, blah, 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 that I've done, or that you've done, or whatever. I'm asking you one question, and one question only, and that is, do you, today, now, at this moment, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Or is this a shame? Are there men who come here, are there women who come here, who come here for business reasons? Do you come to church for some other reason? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's what it's all about, dear people. And I want you to know that if you do, He is enough. Would you say that with me? He is enough together. He is enough. Well, that's, that, there's got to be more vigor than that in it. He is enough. Amen, brother. Pray with me. Father, from the days of the Old Testament down to today, there have been folks who stood up and said, Jesus is not enough. And give to us a sweetness as we say it, but let us say it nonetheless. The Bible says that He is. And you need to get right with that. Buddha can't get a person to heaven. Muhammad can't get a person to heaven. Others whose names could be added to this. Their bones are withering in some grave somewhere. Jesus arose. He went to heaven. He's coming again. And He and He alone saves men and women and boys and girls. And He is enough. Speak to our hearts. Somebody may need in a special way to hear the message. All of us need our shot of iron in our backbone. We are willing to think Tommy Rot, like coexist, is good, even if we have to give up our faith. Father, I pray you'd just help us to be people of the Bible and say no more and no less than what the Bible teaches. Help us, O Lord. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He alone is the Savior of men. Thank you that he does that. And there are none who have ever, nor none who ever will come to him and be turned away. Come unto me is his word. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number 541 in your hymnal, 541. Great message. He, the pearly gates will open. Nobody else can. Do you believe that? Nobody else can open those supposed pearly gates. 
Nobody else can get us to heaven. He is enough. If God has spoken to your heart this morning and you aren't sure of your relationship with Him, if I can help you in any way, I'll meet you here. But you don't have to walk an aisle to be saved. You can be saved right where you are by simply saying, Lord, I trust you right now as my personal Savior. Somebody needs to do that. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful for your bringing to us a powerful message today from your word through your faithful servant, Ross Marion, that he, your son, Jesus Christ, is enough. The world, Father, pressures us today to be tolerant, as Ross said, to coexist. Help us never to forget that Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Father, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that he did not say, I am one of many ways to the Father pick the one that you like. He made it very clear that he alone is the way to salvation. Salvation through Christ, by grace, through faith in him alone. He is sufficient alone for our salvation. Father, we remember today those that are listed in the worship folder who are sick, who are battling illnesses, injuries, recovering from surgery, broken hearts. There are many, Father, among our congregation who are in need of your grace and your peace, and we ask that you would pour that out upon them and use us, Father, to minister to them as we may. Father, give us a heart to share Jesus Christ to the world and to do so boldly without apology. We remember those young men and women, Father, in uniform who were serving this nation around the world in dangerous situations, our our military. And we remember our nation, Father, particularly in this season when we are about to elect a new president. We just pray for wisdom and guidance for this nation as we enter into that, that privilege of exercising that freedom. Father, be with us all, each and every one, as we leave this place. Go with us as we share the most powerful testimony we can, and that's by the way we live our lives, not so much what we say. Go with us into the the workplace this week, and may everything that we do be a glorious and precious um, offering to you and, and pleasing in your ear. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.